And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Before we start the show, we just want to let you know about the Athletics Black Friday deal. Starting Monday night at 5 p.m. Eastern, the Athletics Great Writing is just $1 a month for 12 months. Go to theathletic.com slash spin rate to lock in our very best price of the year just one dollar a month for new subscribers to the athletic go there now but as i said this is spin rate the athletics toronto blue jays podcast my name is drew fair service and we're so excited to be back at you again for the second time in like a week it's november what kind of baseball stuff could you talk about in november let me tell you we're here to talk awards blue jays figured prominently throughout the award season and we got lots to talk about and when i say we i mean of course me drew co-host of spin rate being joined by uh, a person who voted votes and voted for one of these awards she covers the toronto blue jays for the athletic her name is caitlin mcgrath she's the co-host of spin rate caitlin welcome back thank you welcome back to you as well Welcome back to us all. Welcome back to everyone for listening. Thank you so much for sticking with us, for dialing us up here in November. The weather is weird and wet, but that doesn't mean there's not baseball stuff to talk about, transactions to look forward to, 40-man roster machinations to chew on. But I think the most important thing, so well, before I get away from myself, thank you so much for, for listening. If this is your first time, I can't encourage you enough to subscribe to the show. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, dial it up, hit the hit the like, whatever. Make sure you get them beamed right into your phone as soon as they're live. Hit us with a review, with a like, thumbs up, whatever it is. We appreciate it. Helps the show, feeds the algorithm, makes me feel real good. And I mentioned off the top, the hot deal. Make sure you go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and sign up. Get that sweet, sweet dollar a month. And uh, let them know that you're listening to us so we can continue living in the style to which we have grown accustomed, which is to just saunter in here in the winter and talk about awards. We talked, to, if, you, if you missed it earlier this week, we talked about Jose Barrios, who has picked up an award on his own. Not only did he pick up some Cy Young votes, he also picked up a big ass contract extension, seven years, $131 million for the Blue Jays. Uh, free agent to be at the end of 2022. Before any work stoppage ugliness, Jose Barrios committed himself to the Toronto Blue Jays. So if you haven't heard that one, which we recorded before the pod, before the press conference, Caitlin, you were you were there, I assume. Yes. What was your big takeaway other than Jose Barrios has cute kids? <laughs> yes, his three children were there. His um, family was there, and they were very cute. And I guess they had this had been the first time the whole family had been in Toronto. And 
they were enjoying it. And that was, I think, the big takeaway from it was that how charmed he and his family was with Toronto so quickly. And, um, you know, Barrios, like you said, said all the right things and things that stuck out was that, you know, within two months of playing with the Blue Jays and spending two months in Toronto, he was sort of seen enough that he knew he wanted to live in this city for um, seven more years at least. Or, and he also wanted to be part of the Blue Jays organization, the way that they treated him, they made him feel comfortable. Um, obviously it helps that they're a pretty young, talented team that was oh so close to getting to the postseason. So I'm sure they're not that he was going to go anywhere next year, but I'm sure there's sort of a, an understanding that the, the the team sort of knows what they're doing in terms of building a winning product, or at least he believes they do. So he wants to stick around and obviously they gave him the money, which I think was a pretty fair um, contract for both, both sides. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was actually also just kind of, um, neat to have an in-person press conference. We haven't had one in so long um, that I was actually like surprised like when I got the email of like, oh yeah, those things, we used to do those all the time. These are things that happened. It would just been had sent, like like George Springer's press conference, whatever, was on Zoom um, last winter whenever we had it. Um, and so to have an in-person press conference and yeah, like have his whole family there, have him there, have Ross there and, you know, all the media were there and his, some of his team were there, like a close friend and his agent was there. So, um, it's been a long time since we've had that. Obviously the Ryu one, um, sticks out for kind of how big a, big a deal it was with um, Scott Boris there. Um, but yeah, like, so yeah, it was, it was good to get back to the Roger Center and, um, and see all that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have any takeaways from it or if you're kind of in agreement that it was just kind of more of the right things were being said and you can kind of, kind of, there's a lot of truth to what Mark and Ross have been saying all along is like, we're building this team to want to be a, a place where players want to play. You, I don't want to be overly cynical and, and say that, yeah, everyone was just saying the right thing on the day that this big contract got signed. But it does get back to something that we talked about on the show that we recorded ahead of that press conference, which was Mark Shapiro is doing what he said he was going to do, and it's, it's working. But Barrios is, was impressed by and attracted to the things that Shapiro has been saying all along. And the line I used on the, on the last show that ended up in the social clip, which is about like wanting to make the Blue Jays a modern professional sports business that is, is attractive and appealing and helps players think that they can achieve, you know, their best version of themselves. And, and, and Jose Barrios did nothing to dispel that, belief that the Blue Jays are doing the things that they said they're going to do. Easy to do, easy to get on board when you're throwing a seven-year contract underneath the nose of a pitcher, but also at the same time, he could have waited and signed a six-year contract next year. Like there's almost no doubt that he would have got a six-year, $120 million deal mm -hmm. come next winter. And the other thing was that uh, I, I wish, I love Jose Barrios for saying how much he enjoyed Toronto, having spent September the objectively best month of the year on the calendar in any city, but most more specifically Toronto. Toronto in September is about as good as it gets. The weather is phenomenal. The city is full and brimming with good times. You know, when the universities fill back up and it's just like there's so much energy and stuff going on and people are out and the nights are cool but wonderful. It's a hard, it's an easy sell. They should, the Blue Jays should think about this, doing this from now on. 
hang out somewhere else, come back, be like, hey, look at this, beautiful end of summer. You know, those, those special summer nights, the next thing you know, you're at Wando's getting a big-ass piece of pizza in the middle of the 2 o'clock in the morning. You've never lived until you've done such a thing. Jose Barrios told me personally he loves Bitwando, so there you go. <laughs> he didn't tell me that. But let me ask you a question. Okay. Does Jose Barrios, who now is, you know, long-time commitment, great player coming off a great year, I believe he finished seventh in the Cy Young Amer- uh, voting in the American League, uh, does Jose Barrios get the ball on opening day in Toronto in 2022? Um, I guess it depends who else they sign. I think um, the rotation is hardly set at this point. Um, and so uh, do they open? They don't. They think I believe they open on the road. I believe they open in Baltimore, um, actually. I can't believe you just well actually me on my opening day. Home opener, opening day. You're splitting. You're killing me. You're splitting hairs when I misspoke. Sorry. No, it's fine. I, I, deserve, <laughs> I deserve even worse. You have said the the thing that needs to be said, which is, of course, that Jose Barrios finished seventh. But if the Blue Jays are able to sign the American League Cy Young Award winner himself, Robbie Ray, which is to say they would re-sign him, Robbie Ray would then start Probably. on opening day. Um, I don't think if there's nobody else that the Blue Jays are going to sign, that they're going to start ahead of Barrios, straight up. That's me telling you that. That if, even if they sign Max Scherzer, he's not starting on opening day over Jose Barrios. Mostly because they're not going to sign Max Scherzer. But nonetheless... Robbie Ray won the Cy Young. Let's talk about that. It was, uh, in the end, a little bit less uh, dramatic than I think a lot of people expected. 29 first-place votes. One single per- first-place vote extended to uh, Garrett Cole. 29 mm-hmm. votes first-place Robbie Ray. Pretty much slam dunk. Is that what you expected? Did you think he was going to get so, so much support to, to take the award home? I thought he was going to win. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think it would be that much of a landslide. Um, I thought that... Garrett Cole would get like a handful at least of votes. I don't know, like first place votes, like five, six, seven, whatever it is. Um, just because mm-hmm. like some of the rate stats liked Garrett Cole better, you know, like strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, home runs per nine, probably like those types of stats tended to skew more towards um, Garrett Cole. Whereas like some of the just sort of number stats, like innings pitched um, strikeouts, that stuff I um, was Robbie Ray. And so um not really knowing how exactly people were gonna vote. Um you just I just kind of assumed there would be some people that um would throw Garrett Cole some first place votes just based on um you know those statistics and the fact that he was you know he is a very good pitcher. I think um a couple things helped Robbie Ray. I think that well, one is that he did pitch the most. I think it does help that he had the innings pitched mm-hmm. and also the ERA title, like those things um, and the strikeouts. Um, those things um, have a lot of weight to them. I think it helped also that Robbie Ray, um, if anything, finished strong in the second half. Like we have to remember, like Robbie Ray was not even an all-star. Like he was not, mm-hmm. he wasn't even an all-star and he, his first half was fine. Like he was doing a lot of things in the first half that he was doing in the second half. Um, you know, he wasn't like a lot of things that were like the sort of bedrock of his success this season. He was doing in the first half. He wasn't walking as many guys. And yes, he was allowing the occasional home runs, but he was striking out a lot of guys. He was 
pitching pretty deep in games, but it was still like somewhat under the radar and he had more of his sort of like really stand up performances happened in the second half. So I think that maybe you talked about that. Maybe we've talked about that before, but that's sort of like the recency bias of like the fact that he had a really good second half and Garrett Cole kind of faded down the stretch. Um, obviously like Ray had that, you know, unfortunate bad start against the Yankees. It wasn't even that bad of a start. He was like four hits, four home runs, which is kind of just unfortunate. But mm-hmm. um, that, but generally speaking, Robbie Ray had a really good, like a really good July, really good August. Like those months were like really good for him. Um, I also think that Robbie Ray never got caught up whatsoever in the um, like spider tack, like foreign substance controversy. And I think that goes back to the original point, whereas like he was pretty consistent throughout the season like there really wasn't anything um about his spin rate or like any sort of suspect um type of performance where it was like going up and down uh, you know around the time where they were cracking down on that kind of stuff so I think that helped um I also think like even though I kind of wrote about the fact that nobody votes based on a, a pitcher's story and I don't think it is um a primary reason why voters vote for guys but I think that um the fact that Robbie Ray led a Blue Jays team a young Blue Jays team really on the cusp of playoffs and he was coming back from such a you know tough year and I you know it was like kind of an unlikely story of this guy um really rebounding and remaking himself or not even remaking himself but just like fulfilling the potential I guess that was always there um you know maybe that does sway some voters a little bit um and I don't know it just is it's interesting because I think a lot of people would say that because Robbie Ray pitched in Toronto, like sometimes those pitchers don't get noticed as much because obviously the Blue Jays games aren't on in the U.S. as much. And a guy like Garrett Cole pitching and also Lance Lynn, honestly, like pitching for the White Sox and pitching for the Yankees. Those are two teams that got a lot of attention all the time, but especially like recently, well, the Yankees always, but recently for the White Sox, um, you know, they're on national games. They play a lot. A lot of voters would see them more often than they would see Robbie Ray. And so that's kind of also why I thought Derek, it would, it would be closer just because I didn't think that Robbie Ray would have as many eyes on him. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, the it's it's funny when it ends up being 29 and then there's just one guy. Because I guarantee that one guy that voted for Cole probably thought there was going to be more votes for Cole. Obviously, he <laughs> thought Cole was worthy. But I just I would be surprised if he thought, oh, I'm going to be the one guy that stands out. I, I would assume that, obviously, if he thought Cole was the winner, then he thought that Cole would get more than his one single first place vote. Mm-hmm. Jason Beck, of course, of uh, who covers the Tigers and has for a very long time. Um, someone who is uh, known to be good at their job. So, look, I have a few things, and, and the, you know, this will come back a few times as we're talking here, which is, especially when it comes to down-ballot stuff, uh, as I tweeted about this a little bit uh, during the awards week, was like, I'm a messy bitch that loves drama. The more, like, random, give me all, as long as it doesn't, like, hurt, actively affect the process, I am so down for, like, some down-ballot nonsense. Just give, bring me all the Homer <laughs> votes, Bring me all the foolishness. You know, I want someone to twist themselves into a pretzel, justifying it in their column that they get, like that they, the reason they made this crazy vote in the first place was so they could get a column out of it down the road. Love it. Love every single second of it. But I think that, 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 you know, and we talked a little bit, a little bit about this off the air. And I think that, uh, 
it's worth mentioning on as we were recording here also like Alex Spear of the Boston Globe wrote a really interesting column about what his thought process was and and how he's going to vote and, and the how he's maybe not going to use uh, you know numbers like wins above replacement as a as a kind of go-to or default for for when especially when it comes to voting for the Cy Young that it's it's sometimes it's you know we've kind of got maybe a little bit lost when it comes to how to how do we parse the value how do you make the decision who is the best pitcher and what are what are the the man the way what's the way that we're evaluating that and you know Alec, that said Alex Byers uh vote pretty much you know I don't know maybe chalk isn't the right way to say it a little bit a little bit on on non-standard in that he went Ray Cole Nate Eovaldi Lance Lynn and then uh Frankie Montes of uh, of the A's, so you know I think that you can make it. You can make a pretty strong case for Eovaldi, although it's just it's just not as strong as Ray. I think in terms of runs allowed, in terms of innings pitched, like so many of those things, you know, I, I don't think it needs to get too much more complicated than that. And and you can start to like figure out like where did where did some of these things come? Where did some of these things stand out? Is there any sort of like thing that that maybe you don't want to give somebody credit for? And you know, as you said off air, like. It's important that if we're voting for an award, not to use like forward projecting numbers as opposed to like what is it that happened. We need mm-hmm. we need some storytelling stats if if we're I think if we're going to do an award because that's what we're that's what that's what you're awarding right is who who had the best season and you can we can go crazy with with uh, component numbers and maybe I, maybe FIP and things like that aren't exactly ideal for award season but there, you know at the end of the day Ray led the American League in starters in. Um, in wins above, not in 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 uh, wins above replacement, the baseball reference version, which is based off of runs allowed, which to me sounds a lot like you know things that happened as opposed to things that should have happened or could have happened or or the, a different model of of successful starting pitching. So, Robbie Ray led the led the league in wins probability uh, win probability added, which is again pitching big innings and and mm-hmm. in being effective when they when they matter most for a starting pitcher. To me, that's huge. Um, you know, he, again, being right up there. Also, shout out Shohei Otani, sixth among starting pitchers for, for win probability added, even though he only threw 130 innings. Um, but we'll get to that too. So a great season for Robbie Ray, 29 first place votes. There's not much else to, that can be said. Uh, Jose Barrios picked up a handful of votes, actually, as I mentioned before, when he finished seventh, he picked up a third place vote, a fourth place vote, and three fifth place votes. Um, uh, the, the dude, Arden Zwelling, had Barrios fourth on his ballot. Um, but he wasn't, you know, wasn't a Toronto, uh, writer. It was, was uh, it was Allison Footer who covers uh, the Astros for MLB.com who voted for Jose Barrios third. Jose Barrios it doesn't maybe have the same sparkling numbers as Garrett Cole in terms of ERA or strikeouts or, or, or you know some of the other kind of front runners. But Jose Barrios did this year what the Blue Jays hope and effectively paid for, which is that he was a very good above average pitcher who took the ball 30, 31, 32 times and went out and did the, did his job and pitched mm-hmm. you know five six innings and. That's what you're going to get, and that might not win you a Cy Young, but it's that's that's the basis for what for a good team, frankly. So shout out to Jose Barrios for a, a great season and picking up those big votes. Yeah, yeah, she says. Not much else to say about that. No, and I thought I thought I don't know if you watched it. I thought um, Robbie Ray's reaction was really great. He had his whole family there. His oldest son kind of stole the show a little bit um which kind of happens when you have kids on live tv um but uh you know and afterwards he had a conference call with us and he was really happy and really appreciative and i kind of said to him like in one of my questions like we would kind of 
carefully broached the topic of Cy Young throughout, especially throughout August and September when he was really heading towards looking like a favorite for it. And he really didn't want to like touch it too much uh, other than just sort of say like, it's great. And, but I'm just focusing on the team and all that kind of stuff, which Mm -hmm. is what you expect him to say. But um, yeah, he said when we brought it up, like, well, well, now I love talking about it. Like now that I have the award, I, I don't mind talking about it. Which good for him. Yeah, touche. We'll be right back with more spin rate. But first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I mentioned him already. Uh, well, and Robbie Ray not was not unanimous. 21, 29 out of 30 first place votes. The MVP vote that we kind of knew was going to go this way was, in fact, unanimous. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great performance by starting pitcher Shohei Otani. He was, uh, even though he only threw 130 innings, uh, he, again, was one of the best pitchers in high leverage situations among starters. Uh, it's interesting to see. Only, I mean, he was a three wins above replacement as a pitcher, but su- is it somewhat surprising that, that as, a, as a, a pitcher with that, that kind of record would win the, the most valuable player run, running away unanimous? Hmm. Is he, did, seems, he, did he do something else on the field? Did he do something else? <laughs> he did do something else. He was also a five-win <laughs> DH hitting 46 home runs and leading – uh, second in the league in OPS and led the league, all of baseball, in win probability added for hitters. So when you combine those two things, which you're allowed to do because the same fucking guy did them, <laughs> you have not only the American League MVP, unanimous, 30 first place votes. You also have, and I've said this a hundred, I've said this a hundred times and I'll keep saying it until it's, something changes, the single greatest season I've ever seen in my entire life in any sport. Truly unbelievable shocking like the fact that he did it is shocking and 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 i got in i spent a full day arguing with people well, i spent more than a full day <laughs> arguing it with people about it and whether he deserves it uh which i it's crazy to me i, I tried to be good i wasn't belittling anyone i got ba- i got blocked by some guy who, <laughs> who i thought i was just like anyway um but like i can't believe that there would be people even the both Died in blue Blue Jays fans who think that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. deserved the MVP over Vla- over Shohei Otani. It's crazy to me, but that doesn't take anything away from the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at 22 years old had an unbelievable season, an unbelievable season with uh, with unbelievable and unprecedented barriers in his way, as, as he and his team were forced to play in three different home ballparks. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vlad had an unreal season. He did. It was insane. What did he end up with? 48 home runs. Yep. Um, by some measures, led the American League in um, – actually, no, he didn't lead the American League in any wins above replacement. Led the American League in, in almost all offensive categories in terms of um, 
uh, weighted runs created plus, uh, d- deserved runs uh, created, uh, uh, weighted on base. Again, home runs was in the top, what, two, three for batting average. A, a truly amazing season. A truly amazing season, a glimpse of what's to come, and a well-deserved second-place finish that most years is going to get it done. But the mm-hmm. year that uh, the same guy throws 130 like extremely good innings and hits 46 home runs, that's the MVP. There's no way of getting around it. Yeah, exactly. And Vladdy was almost unanimous second place mm-hmm. winner. There was one, was it one Salvador one, Perez? <laughs> there was. Bring it on. Oh. Bring me that non, that non, that down ballot nonsense. <laughs> um, but obviously we, uh, I agree with everything. Um, I, you know, didn't really wade too much into the discourse of um, the MVP because I didn't vote. I didn't have an MVP vote and um, I wasn't, I wasn't writing on it. Like I, so I didn't really wade into it. I'm, I saw enough sort of Blue Jays fans also kind of understanding and completely uh, realizing why Vladi mm-hmm. came in second. So there were people out there that um, saw what Shohei did and was like, yes, obviously that is the MVP. Um, but you're right. Like, and let's not forget Marcus Simeon coming the third. So like the fact that the Blue Jays had two MVP finalists, um, obviously there was some down ballot guys that got some votes. Um, your boy T Oscar got a handful of um, low he, he votes. He didn't get a handful. He got one. Oh, he, he got, got one, one eighth okay. place vote, which is sorry, ninth place vote. But that's still so awesome. <laughs> Give so, it, bring it on. Bring me all the down ballot homer vote bullshit. Love it. Yeah. So Bo, sorry, Bo Bichette got a, a couple, a handful he did. of votes. That's crazy. Um, he got four votes. Good for him. And Robbie Ray got a vote um, as well. So he did. Um, yeah. So five Blue Jays received votes. Yeah. Wait, one, two. Yep. Three, four, five. Five yep. Blue Jays got MVP votes. Two Blue Jays got a shitload of MVP mm-hmm. votes. Uh, man, this team, Cy Young Award winner, five guys in the MVP belt. We haven't <laughs> even got to the other awards. They must have won the World Series in a walk. <laughs> what? You would have thought. Um, okay, well, let me ask of, you then. Well, wait, but there was another. I feel like there was, was there not something? I mean, also, I guess, like the Angels having the MVP and not making the playoffs. But I feel like there was another team that was like, Similarly, had a lot of standout performances and didn't make the playoffs. Maybe I'm just imagine, imagining it. Well, there's one Astro, not two Astros. Jose Altuve got a couple, got a couple votes. Kyle yeah. Tucker got a couple votes. You know, like hardly any Rays, and and that's sort of the magic, uh, I think, of yeah. the Rays and what makes them so sexy is that Brandon Lau got the most MVP votes of anybody on the Rays. He was down there below Cedric Mullins, who got got a ton of MVP votes, including a fourth place vote on a team that lost a hundred games, which is where mm-hmm. I was going to go with this. And what do you yeah. think about that? Do you think about that most valuable player as it's written, or as you understand it, or as you prefer to to interpret it? Is it rewarding the most outstanding season and you know irrespective of team record or do you think that there needs to be some kind of consideration for the quality of the team the player is on um okay a few things like one i think that it wouldn't i don't think there's any criteria um that is like sort of listed like i know for like hall of fame voting there is sort of like criteria that they kind of spell out obviously mm-hmm. there's that kind of infamous character clause um whereas for the uh year end awards i don't think there's really any specific criteria um 
as that would sort of parse that out. Um, so I guess it is really up to like what people, um, think. I mean, I think if it is a difference between, um, you know, like, let's just pick, like, if it's a difference, if, if Vlad and like Aaron Judge, for example, like, ha- and let's just take Shoei out of it, right? Like, he doesn't exist in this. Mm-hmm. And so if it's like, you know, Aaron Judge and Vlad, and they've had very similar seasons, um, and you're trying to say, okay, like, who, who gets it? And the Blue Jays miss the playoffs and the, um, and the Yankees get in, you know, maybe beating the Blue Jays to get in. In that specific scenario, I would say maybe you have to weigh team performance a little bit just because you're kind of trying to split hairs a little bit and say, who is the MVP? Um, but I think when there's such a standout, spectacular individual performance, you can, it kind of transcends team. And that's exactly what Shohei Otani was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, had Vlad led the Blue Jays to the playoffs, I still don't think he would have won. I mean, no. maybe if the Blue Jays had like won the AL East or something like dominated, um, even then, I don't know that he would have won. I think maybe he would have got some first place votes potentially. Um, and I was kind of like, I kind of waffled throughout the year in the sense of like, I don't know, maybe Vlad will get a couple first place votes from people that do kind of weigh. And that was also thinking like maybe the Blue Jays will get in the playoffs and all this kind of stuff. But also like you can then make the argument that like maybe Marcus Simeon <laughs> was the MVP of the Blue Jays because he um, he was not m- – as much of a well-rounded hitter as Vlad was, um, certainly basically was like very close to power. Obviously he had 45 home runs and Vlad had 48, um, but he also delivered a lot more defensively, played 162 games, um, and Vlad only missed like one or two games. He only missed one. He played 161. 161, okay. I couldn't remember if he missed one more at the end of the season. Remember that was the um, game they taped him to the bench. Yes, I remember that. I knew he didn't play 162. I just didn't know yeah. if it was 161 or 160. Um, but uh, but also just playing second base. Obviously, Simeon was one of the best second base. Well, like gold glove, second baseman, one of the best exactly. based on um, other defensive metrics. And so you could make the argument that Simeon was actually the MVP of the Blue Jays and maybe Robbie Ray was second and then there was Vlad. Like there was actually a lot of individual performance on the Blue Jays that really mm. stood out. So I think that... I would just go back to my original point of that, like it it's for me, if I was to vote for MVP, it would, I don't know that I would go into any year saying these are my standards and this mm-hmm. is how I vote. Like it would probably be a case by case thing and just see like how the season goes, who the performers are um, and what, what have they done to stand out? And then, as I say, if it's splitting ties, then you might look at team or position or, you know, all these different mm-hmm. things to sort of parse that out. And some of that stuff is built into like the component me- the component stats like a wins above replacement, right? Mm-hmm. So by baseball reference, Marcus Simeon was better than Vlad. Yeah. You know, uh, again, depending on the, how much you value his defense versus, you know, in terms of um, defensive runs saved or ultimate zone rating or if you even subbed in uh, some of the, you know, the stat cast numbers, uh, it's hard to make a case that, that Vlad was that much better. And I think that's the biggest problem with including the team component, is how do you extract what Vlad did from what Marcus Simeon did from what Robbie Ray did? And mm-hmm. you can say that the Angels were worse off than the Blue Jays. They won 14 fewer games. But you can say, if you take a show... So this is the argument that I got a lot, number one, which was like, if you take Shohei away from the Angels, they're still trash. But if you take Vlad away from the Blue Jays, they're 
taking a huge step back, but it's like, you can say the exact same thing about Marcus Simeon. You can say the exact same thing about Robbie Ray. And the other side of that coin is even, you can try to attribute the success to the Blue Jays, uh, the Blue Jays success to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. exclusively if you want to. But if I'm a team that actually made the playoffs, I'm like, what success is it that they had? Yeah, they won 91 games. They finished fourth. Yeah. They were a fourth place team. So, yeah. I mean, I get it. That's what fans do. And, that, and there are some fans that can hold, can't get past that. And they were like, we like that, Vlad. We like the Blue Jays. I don't care about anything else. He deserved the MVP. He's my favorite player. Awesome. I get that. But don't try to have a, don't try to intellectualize something that is purely emotional, right? Yeah. Like, let it be that. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't try to come at me and, talk, and, and, and argue about it and argue about the, the, the merit of a team that you just, like, you just keep lowering the bar and be like, well, the Blue Jays almost made the playoffs. So those at bats that Vlad had in September were, were important. It's like, well, obviously you should have done better if they wanted him to make the playoffs. But my other thing is, and this was an argument I got into some guy with about my thing, I think I kept saying is like, it's a team award. It's an individual award in a team sport, but it's different than the other team sports in that it is a turn-based game, mm-hmm. right? Vlad gets to come up and then he has to wait for eight other guys to hit before he can come up again. Vlad or Mark Simeon in, our, in this case, say, is standing there at second base and someone has to hit him the ball for him to field it, yeah. right? And he has to wait his turn as well. You can, in other sports, if it's in basketball, for example, if it's... Kyle Lowry has the, the ball every possession he's on the court. Kyle Lowry initiates the offense. The quarterback snaps the ball. Obviously, he's dependent on his linemen and his receivers and stuff like that. But you can funnel the chances to the standout players in all the other sports. You can't do that in baseball. So you have to take it, take them at their own individual contribution. So the fact that, that the Blue Jays front office is smarter than the, the Angels front office right now, the fact that the Blue Jays front office saw it in their infinite wisdom to sign Marcus Simeon and sign Robbie Ray and the Angels didn't. Why does Vlad get credit for that in an October <laughs> award? He doesn't. It's not, it, it's stupid. And again, with, with, with what Otani did, there's no, like you, t- you talk stuff into circles. You're not going to come up with a better, like he did more to help his team win. And may, and maybe when for me, uh, before we move on a little bit, um, which is that the, the down ballots or sorry, the, the, if I'm looking for a tiebreaker, what that, that's when I look to win probability added. I look to clutch performance. Uh, and, and so if you look at, say, a, 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 if you look at wins above replacement, there's a batting runs component and that those runs are added in, you know, in a contrast, context neutral way. Vlad had what, 110 walks or something like that, 48 home runs, all that stuff gets computed in and it spits out a context neutral runs component. Those are the runs that he created, right? When right weighted runs created plus those are the, those are the runs that he created. But if you take that number and look, come contrast it with their batting runs created in a, in win probability added, is it higher? Is it lower? Right. And that's, that's a number where Vlad actually suffers a little bit because his clutch performance was worse than his context neutral performance. He didn't have a great season in high leverage in late close. He was fine and he still led the lead, the Blue Jays in, in, in championship probability added and win probability added or win probability added, uh, because he just got so on base so many times. All those things count, but. 
Shohei Otani was a lot clutcher for whatever that's worth. But again, he can't create his own clutch. Nobody can. They can't create your own clutch situations. You can't say, mm-hmm. okay, the bases are loaded this Ethan and send Vlad up now because we need a hit. <laughs> he's already been up. He's probably standing on third base or he's waiting in the on-deck circle. And if the game ends with him standing there, there's nothing you can do about it. So an amazing season by Vlad. He's going to get one. There's no doubt. This you know, while as, as great as this season was and as foolish it would, it would be for us to expect him to do somehow better than this insane season, you do get the sense that this is just the beginning. And for uh, he's for Vlad. Mm-hmm. Can, and I ask also, you, hmm? can I ask you one thing mm-hmm. that I wonder about Shohei Otani, like mm-hmm. moving forward? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, this is like a bar setting year for them in the sense of like how you explained it. Like, yeah, he pitched 130 innings, but he was very good pitcher. um, And he was also like one of the best um, designated hitters. And so I think though, part of the reason why he got a lot of votes, understandably so is because he was doing both things. And Mm -hmm. so I just wonder if like, now that he's been awarded for doing both things and doing both things very well, the fact that he just does both things is not going to cut it anymore. Like I, I do wonder like, how people are going to vote moving forward because he's probably not going to stop doing both things for a few years now, assuming health. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, maybe next year he doesn't hit as well. Um, or maybe next year he doesn't pitch as well. And so then that just sort of lowers his MVP, um, caliber anyway, in the sense is like, well, he's not really a good pitcher, but I just wonder like how people are going to reconcile because if the whole thing was like, Oh, well, Vlad would have won if only he was also a pitcher. Um, and so that sort of automatically suggests that, well, because show is doing both, he's MVP every year because he's, no one else is doing both, mm-hmm. but you can't necessarily make that argument every single year because then it's like, well, there, then there's just kind of no debate ever. Right. Like unless another two way player comes around. So like, how do you kind of view that? Like, do you think that this is the bar setting year for Shohei? And unless he has a season that exceeds it, he's not necessarily an MVP um, favorite because it would sort of just be like, well, now we're just giving you the award because you do both, which it kind of is unfair in some ways, as much as he's doing something incredible and that's all his talent. But like a guy like Vlad's not going to learn how to pitch just to win MVP. So I, 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 I'm glad you brought this up. This is something I had some kind of like, you know, Twitter debates and conversations with some people about it. Number one, he's not going to do it again, I think, is the, okay. is the sad truth. Yeah. Um, what he did and the reason that like I woke up every morning in awe that it was happening is because, and the reason that no one else has done it before is because it's so goddamn hard. Like there was uh, uh, somebody, oh, it was Brandon, uh, Brandon Wiley at the, at the score wrote a story and he talked to a bunch of different people and he talked to, you know, Garrett Cole, but like what mm-hmm. he thinks about watching o- Otani. And it's like, like a, a starting pitcher's workload is crazy and they have mm-hmm. they, their their days are scripted and they have so much work that they've got to do and they got to run and they got to throw and they've got to do prep and they've got to just do the shit that they do mm-hmm. and then to do that as well as playing every single day to be able to do it at the end of the year so he got tired right like there's no debating yeah. so even that said so otani had a really rough couple of weeks in september his second half numbers were closer to his first half numbers than vlad's second half numbers were to his first half numbers technically vlad fell off more vlad's mm-hmm. second half was like 100 almost 200 points worse than his first half by ops otani was about 50 points behind to do that that's natural because to even just to pitch a full season is so 
difficult and so hard on your body to throw 100 miles an hour, to want to throw 100 pitches. He, he was only pitching every sixth, sixth day, which might have made it a little bit easier. So for him to have done that is such an f- unbelievable feat that I don't think he'll be able to do it again because it's too hard. It's too yeah. much for your body, for your mind to stay at that level, to do that insane level of preparation, to stay, to get as big as he got in the offseason and come in and ride it through the whole season. I don't think he'll be able to do it again. The other point is the Shohei f- fatigue factor is real and it's already here. And you can see it in the fact that people were arguing with me that he deserved it. And, and I'm like pulling my hair out, like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, like they're like, it's a novelty. It's like, yeah. It's the greatest. It's like this is this isn't this isn't like you know. I think Craig Cocatera made, made had a line about like if if uh, if a, a, a racehorse had won the first two legs of the Triple Crown and then fell down, you know, in the in the home stretch of the of the whatever the last one, the Belmont, like I don't know, the last one of the year. <laughs> You probably still vote that horse, the, the horse of the year. But if he's won the first two legs of the Triple Crown and then a goddamn unicorn appears, like f- comes out of a spaceship and then beats the beats the field by 40 laps, like that unicorn is the horse, horse of the year. It's something that you've never seen before. But people were already sick of it. They, mm-hmm. They're sick of it. They, it it's because it's because the the scale of what he did is so great. You can't see both sides of it. It's like a, it's like standing beside one of those gigantic container ships. Like you can't wrap your head around how big it is and how much it is. So it's easy to be like, yeah, it's a big boat. What the fuck? I don't care. Like what he did was, so people are bored of it already. Yeah, I agree. And it does feel like as much as this vote and him winning was the numbers completely backed up the fact that he deserved it, especially Mm -hmm. like on the hitting side. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does feel like this vote was very much like, here you go. We are like, we are awarding you for your incredible accomplishment of doing both these things. Mm -hmm. And it was like, um, you like, I think most of the voters, like obviously they weighed the numbers and all that kind of stuff, but they also were like, how could we not vote for this guy? That's how you get unanimous. Like no, everybody had the exact same thought as like, this is like, you know, there's no contest here. Like there's not Mm -hmm. much of a debate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but it does feel like you're, I agree with the latter point you made of that, the fatigue factor setting in and like Mm -hmm. the, and it's, it's kind of crazy because it's like, it's not even just a fatigue factor, but it's like, because he's done it once, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. big deal. He's doing it second year. Okay, well, whatever. Do something new. Like, you know, so I feel like it's also just that. It's like, well, he's already done it now. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if he's going to now start playing second base as well, maybe we'll like, then it's like adding a new trick. But like, really, he doesn't have to. But I, I he agree. Could. Maybe, like- <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe that's the next, the next vanguard for him is not DHing. It's playing right field, which yeah. I bet my life he could do. He could play right field every day. He could play the, he could play right field four days a week, DH once and pitch the other day. And that's the only way that he's going to be able to top what he did this year. Yeah. And I'm glad in, in a way, as someone who is obviously like, I'm emotionally invested in Otani's success because I like to see things that I've never seen before in my life and I'll never see again. The, this, to, to, to bear witness to this feat, I feel lucky every single day when I can watch the game on my TV or I can pull the highlights up on my phone and I can look at it and it's real and it's unbelievable. And I'm blessed to have been experienced this as a baseball fan and watcher. I'm glad that he had a really good season like he did on both fronts this year, because if he is, if he, if he, if this was the first time he did the, did it both for the full season and was worse than he was at one of them, it would have been 
harder for them to give him the award, but they also would have been a bit more of like a pat on the head because that's the question, right? Is And you asked it, which is like, if he does this next year, but he only pitches 130 innings and has like a four ERA and he has like an 800 OPS, is he still the, still the MVP? And that's where it gets really dicey because I, I there's a big part of me that thinks that he is. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's not fair that Vlad can't pitch but like that's the whole thing (laughs) no one else can do that it's like saying it's not fair that Barry Bonds was the best player ever even you know before and after you know he started putting all that junk in his body or or whatever he did quote unquote no libel or anything like that here but like it's not fair that Barry Bonds was that much better than everybody else so like should we have given a bunch of extra MVP awards to I don't know Jeff Bagwell or somebody like that like it's it's not that it's not fair that this guy who does the only person ever on earth who can do these things that he does. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think fair is the best way to describe that. He has gifts and, and talents and the work ethic and determination and ability to do something that no one's ever done. I don't think fair is the right way to go, yeah. but I think that there is going to be a, if he does it again and he's healthy, there is a debate on like where, what on the low end of, of either performance uh, is 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 does does it still make him the best and most compelling? Not the compelling piece. Make him the best and most valuable player in the league. There is a question in there, and I think again this year, even if you just add the two versions of wins above replacement together, it still made a pretty. It makes a pretty clear and compelling case that he was that. But if it starts to get closer, it's going to be a really odd and interesting and uh, potentially ugly debate. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We wait and see where it goes. <laughs> I'm just glad that we got to see it. We because and and the last thing I'll say about this, which is like if you if you come at come at it from a homer perspective, which is okay. If you're a Blue Jays fan and you watch the Blue Jays and you don't care about anybody else, like literally, imagine what would happen if Alec Manoa hit 50 home runs, <laughs> right? Like Alec Manoa did all the same stuff that he did, plus he hit 50 home runs. Plus he was a rookie. Well, okay. If, <laughs> just kidding. If, if well, he was a rookie, but, if he was, if, if Alec Manoa showed up and, and they called him, he's like, "Oh, but I don't know. I don't know, guys. I can swing it. Maybe you let me DH today." And then he hit fifty home runs. Like that's what he did, right? He pitched as well, if better than Alec Manoa. Had more starts because he wasn't, you know, in the minors. Pitched as well or better than Alec Manoa, and hit almost as well as Vlad. Was the second best hitter in baseball behind Vlad, combined with Alec Manoa. Like, just wrap your head around it. It's hard to do. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about Alec Manoa. He did get some Rookie of the Year votes, which is uh, nice. That's nice, I think. I think you can't really... uh, I don't think you'd be crazy to say that he deserved to win. I think maybe... Maybe I'm surprised he didn't get more. I think Alec Manoa had an even better year than it looks. And I saw Madame Mike Petriello was had some um, charts going and I, I did wrote a story about about fastballs and I can't remember what what was the context of the story. But he had all these leaderboards like who were the top fastballs, guys who get swing and misses with their fastballs, best fastballs by these measures. Alec Manoa's name up there on all those lists. He's really really good. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think if he had started the season in the majors, um, I think he would have been in the top three. I think for me, this was one of the, well, not one of the awards, this was the award that I voted for. Um, and I have voted for Rookie of the Year um, in the past as well. And so uh, behind the curtain, uh, some of, like, the, all the awards are different in the sense of how many finalists you have to put down. Mm. Um, Cy Young is five, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, MVP is 10. Mm-hmm. Rookie of the Year is three. So you only have to do three. And I know, like, it shows up as, like, more people um, getting votes and stuff. But... Um, you only have to pick three. And so if when I was like weighing it, like I think Alec Manoa was, was definitely in my top five. He just wasn't in my top three. And we just have to put three down. So um I think, but if I think if he had been in this the majors all season long and made 30 starts or whatever, 28, 29 starts or whatever it may be, um, I think he would have been in the top three. As long as his numbers would have been similar. Mm-hmm. So Man- one of the votes that Manoa got was from uh, Rob Longley, the Toronto Sun. Shout out the Homer vote. Can't uh, can't sneeze at it. But Manoa did get two votes. He got another vote from uh, somebody else. Oh, oh, from uh, from Jen McCaffrey. Wait, that's not that's not right. Jesse Rogers, VSPN, Chicago. Uh, you voted Caitlin for uh, Randy Rosarena, Luis Garcia, and Wander Franco. Yes. Uh, hard to argue with that. That is uh, pretty much how the ballot broke down. Uh, 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 real quick, why why Rosarena? I think it was just the overall numbers, um, the fact that he played the full season. I mean, it was tough. It was tough to side in between Wander Franco because what he did in this short span of time was incredible. Um, and so... I definitely wanted to have him in my top three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then it was also Wayne um, Garcia who pitched a full season as a rookie um, and his numbers were really good as well for the Astros. So then it was like, well, if I give it to Franco, but he only played 70 games or whatever it was. Um, and then you're not giving credit to a guy who's pitching every, I don't know. So like that to me, like, and also rookie of the year is tough because it's a little bit like MVP in that sense of you're not just ranking, you're not just voting for a specific skill type. Like you can, can be pitchers and it can be hitters. I mean, MVP is usually 
hitters um, because mm-hmm. there's a Cy Young. Um, so unless like a pitcher is so incredible, um, I think it's fairly rare to see MVP Cy Young being the same guy. Um, mm-hmm. So like, was it 2013 Verlander? 2014 Verlander wasn't one both. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, say. like, but like that it happens or whatever. But it's pretty rare. But with rookie, um, it's everyone you're kind of trying to weigh everybody differently and so Mm -hmm. that's why i say with alec manoa like the only reason he was i i felt like garcia had one up on him was the fact that he pitched a lot more starts so Mm -hmm. um that's kind of how it broke down and um yeah i don't know i mean it's it's not completely complicated i think that rosarena um had a better second half was it i think he came out a lot he stronger in the second, in second half, half yeah. yeah and so but it's still the overall numbers i think were strong enough playing the most amount of games i mean i guess you kind of also look a little bit at the the performance not that you're supposed to weigh the performance year before but you kind of consider what he had done um mm-hmm. previous and thought you know he kind of carried that over although you know sarah's wrote a really interesting thing um about the award and whether a Rosarena's best days are already behind him. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I came to. And I was, I'm always kind of like curious to see how my votes, um, shake out compared to how it, how it goes. And I think most years I've been pretty aligned. I think most years who I voted for first has been the winner. Mm. Um, and sometimes there's like a standout, like the first year I voted actually was Shohei Otani's rookie year and he won. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember what other years I voted, but, um, I just have a recollection of like, usually there being a pretty standout rookie, which makes yeah. it a little bit easier. See, this year would be, is interesting. And, and I think that you, you touched on it. Um, but in a more professional way than I will, which is to say that I think the rookie of the year is when you can get a little wild with. Rookie yeah. of the year, and I, I know Keith Law has talked about this before. About yeah, like, and I like Keith. I know what you're going to get to, and I do like hmm. Keith's point of like recognizing someone who projects out to stick around. Like you want to award hmm. someone for a rookie season, but you also um, kind of want to weigh other things like their age and their staying yeah. power and their That's skill exactly and all that it. kind of stuff. And so if it's yeah. a guy who had his rookie year and he's 29, mm-hmm. you know, or if a guy's 20, like Wander Franco, I think mm-hmm. a Rosarina kind of falls in the, he's a little older, 25 ish, maybe. Um, he's too it's old. getting up there. You can say it. He's too old. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I think if if push come to shove, I uh, and looking to get it, probably get some content out of it on the back end. I probably would have voted for for Wander Franco. Number yeah. one because he didn't he doesn't dictate when he gets called up, right? The the Rays are going to keep him down, and they're going to do the things that they need to do for their own payroll and their own uh, situation down the road. So you know they moved they moved uh, what's that what's that guy the, the Willie Adamas out, mm-hmm. right? They made room, um, but they didn't call him up for a little while yet. So. Um, I probably would have voted for for Wander Franco. Uh, there was some great down ballot nonsense on this ballot. Just absolutely delightful. Both <laughs> Rangers writers, who none of whom work for the the Athletic, thank goodness, uh, voted for Adelise Garcia, with which is hilarious because he had one good month. He made the All Star team, plays a heck of an outfield. Really had one good month. Was like it was like basically turned himself into Randall Grichuk by the end of the year, but like got some rookie of the year votes. Whatever. I want to give a special shout out. I didn't. I didn't do this before. 
I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, the National League MVP ballot. This was probably the, one of the best va- oh, ballots yeah. I've ever oh, seen. Oh, MVP? Okay, M- yeah. The National League MVP ballot. Oh, um, yes. I know what you're talking about. Which, which uh, Bryce Harper of the Phillies won. Uh, which it was, it was pretty tight, right? There was obviously going to be some votes for, for Tatis Jr., for, uh, for Juan Soto, even though, you know, not Juan Soto for, for an also ran club, uh, you know, Brandon Crawford, whatever else. Jim Salisbury, who covers the Phillies, put together, oh, wait, is it, is it, is that him? Some, yeah, somebody let's not, had, let's not, let's make sure you get the name right. <laughs> right let, let me get the name right. Let me get the name right. Where is it? Some, wow, where is this? You got to put it on the second page. Yeah, yeah. They, somebody did just the Lord's work and like bear, on their ballot, they buried for ten, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto to ensure that Bryce Harper got all the right votes. Oh, where? Oh, it's, uh, it, where is it this one? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, what's his name? The guy that I said, uh, Jim Salisbury, but uh, it, it, whatever, whoever it was, there was okay, just some yeah, really. I see. No, no, it was. It was. Yeah, it was Jim Salisbury of the <laughs> covers the Phillies for NBC Sports Philadelphia. He voted Bryce Harper first, and he voted Trey Turner, Paul Goldschmidt, Austin Riley, Brandon Crawford, and then Fernando Tatis Jr. and then Juan Soto. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my god, it's so good. Anyway, go check up on that. Uh, and the last one, of course, was uh, Charlie Montoyo, who got some votes. For rookie, uh, for rookie for manager of the year, uh, this is the one that is the easily the most challenging, I think, to vote for, but also like the most challenging to justify your vote. Kevin Cash wins back to back manager of the yeah. year because Kevin Cash is, of course, uh, made of magic, as it turns out. But they, you know, Scott again, like so. So you talk, what does yeah. what, what does Scott Service do to, to deserve winning manager of the year? So th- this is the this is the thing with manager of the year is like you talk about how to weigh team performance and MVP. Well, like mm-hmm. that's essentially what manager of the year award is, is you're weighing the team performance based on, um, you're weighing the team performance against preseason expectations, mm-hmm. or you're also weighing team performance be- and number of injuries and or other obstacles team had to <laughs> encounter throughout the season. And so you have Kevin Cash who, um, by now we all know he works for uh, a team <laughs> that like e- e- small market team. Um, they had a lot of injuries, but they also sort of squeeze every last ounce of juice out of their stable of pitchers. Um, they don't have any stars um, and they are a very good team. And so he gets a lot of credit. Um, mm-hmm. I think for the fact that he, manages with what he has and he does a really good job with what he has. Um, and then, um, with Seattle, the situation was obviously what I said is like, you take the team performance basically against what you had preseason expectations. And you say, well, they were a club that won 90 games and nobody thought that they were going to win 90 games. Mm -hmm. So he must've been doing something right. Um, and, that's kind of what it comes down to. And so when you talk about Charlie Montoyo getting a few votes, I mean, I guarantee a lot of people gave him some votes, some credit for navigating a season where his team had to play in three home ballparks and getting them to 91 wins. And so, you know, I, and I've never voted for a manager. Um, and I do know that it's one that writers um, have a hard time voting for because unless you're, 
a beat writer on that team, you really don't know another team's manager. And so like for me with the Blue Jays, like obviously I know Charlie Montoyo really well, and I could probably give you some arguments for why he was um, deserving of some manager of the year votes. Um, But I don't know the other manager very well. You don't, and if you've been in the industry a long enough time, maybe you do know some other managers and you've encountered a lot of different people um, and you can ask around, but really when it comes down to it, that award just is like, you have to kind of base it on like, what their team did mm-hmm. um, and how they got there and how they got through it and were there obstacles or were there injuries or were there whatever, like, and see how they managed it essentially. And it's, there's no real science to it. Um, I would agree. And I think that it is it, I think it, because of the nuance involved, as you just, you know, so eloquently described, it makes it really hard to vote for anybody that isn't the guy that you cover frankly. And the only other way that you're doing it is as you described, where it's like, well, I thought they were going to be bad, but they're good. So the manager mm-hmm. must have done something right. So mm-hmm. you can give credit or, or you can do it, you know, more of a narrative thing, which is like Charlie Montoyo helped to steer the ship of a young team through a really unprecedented, uncharted waters, this crazy season where they were here, there and everywhere. And they ended up winning 91 games and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But then you can look at Scott Service and you can say, okay, maybe you look at what's had, it's not just that Seattle 190 games. Mm-hmm. It's that Seattle 190 games in a really crazy way, which is all those one run games, all those over, those extra inning games. You know, they won games that they didn't, they, they shouldn't have. They had this crazy record, but they also had this terrible one run differential. Mm-hmm. So you give service credit. Maybe he did. He pulled all the right strings. He managed the bullpen really well. He put the bullpen. Not only did he, did he manage the bullpen really well, he was able to manage the bullpen after they traded away uh, Kendall Graveman. You know, in, in, a, they, in a bit he also of a, had a, a really good bullpen. But so is it? So then again, that's where it gets and into the is, front like, office is the bullpen good, the bullpen. or is he putting them in a position to succeed? To succeed, which is then comes back the to the good. other side of this, which is like if you're going to give credit to to Scott Service for for building for for helping to to put together a great season and to to have have this team be. Uh, be these these Cinderella kids and the unexpected Mariners with their terrible run differential, but their great winning record. You could probably make a case to punish Charlie Montoyo for having like the, one of the most underperforming teams in all of baseball, a team that sh- by all rights should have been waltzing into the playoffs that, that, you know, still did so well winning 91 games in a really tough division, but like scored so many more runs and had such a terrible record, especially earlier in the season when the bullpen was bad you know, is it is it Montoyo's fault? We've already listed all these individual guys that, that got awards consideration for the Blue Jays. Seven guys getting, uh, or five guys getting MVP votes and and Rookie of the Year and the winner of the Cy Young and the two and three in MVP. Like, if you are that type of person who's looking to cast, figure blame out, maybe it's going to land on the manager. But that seems like another debate for another day. Shout out to Charlie Montoya. I don't give a shit. Whatever, it's fine. Good for you, Charlie. Have a guy. I hope you had a good year. Or, uh, he, he deserves credit for for helping keeping all those guys on the same page and and managing through some weird stuff. So, which is again, it comes back to you come. It ends up being more about like the speaker, which is like I view the manager as the baseball dad, and he has to dad it up for twenty five different grown men at different parts of the season. So, well 26. dadded, Charlie Montoyo. Twenty six grown men. Twenty six grown men plus it's twenty twenty one, so it's realistically like more like forty five different guys that are on the roster at different points. Speaking of the roster, last thing, 40-man roster moves are made ahead of the deadline. Blue Jays added, uh, you wrote about this, Hagen Danner, Bowden Francis. Bowden Francis came from which trade? 
The Rowdy Tellez trade. Rowdy Tellez trade. Shout out Rowdy Tellez. Uh, Zach Logue, who is an intriguing name, and Leo Jimenez, all mm-hmm. added to the 40-man roster. And uh, Sean Anderson was added off of waivers from the San Diego Padres. Do we have any big or uh, exciting opinions about uh, about these players that are added? No, I don't think anything. I mean, I'm not in that entirely well-versed in every level of prospect for the Blue Jays. So mm-hmm. um, Hagen Dan- Danner is interesting because he's the converted – I guess he was a two-way player in high school, and then mm-hmm. he uh, was drafted as a catcher, tried it out for a couple of seasons as a catcher, and the Blue Jays have said, no, we like him as a pitcher. And so he – this was his first season – as a full-time pitcher, reliever mm-hmm. in I Throwing Vancouver, like 100 miles an hour, right? Close to, I think, Baseball America said something like uh, high 90s or can brush high 90s. Um, so that is an interesting name just because it's like he's really mm-hmm. kind of new to pitching in some respects. Um, they obviously really like him. Um, they obviously think that other teams might like him and want to take a shot on him. So they want to protect him. Um, Leo Jimenez is still really young, but he also is in that sort of upper echelon of their infield prospects. I also think that knowing they might do some dealing this off season, maybe you want to have some of those guys on your 40 man to make sure their trade value is still there. Right. Like you mm-hmm. potentially could entice some teams with him. Um, so those are Zach Logue. You mentioned um, also a guy that has been name dropped a few times by Ross Atkins in some of his year end sort of availabilities of like going over, you know, performances that they liked. And I think he added some ticks of velocity um, and that helped him this year in AAA. Um, and then what was the other name? Remind me. Don Francis. Oh, yes, Bowden Francis. Yeah, so I think that also he just is a bit of starting depth. They don't have a lot of pitching depth, starting pitching depth. They don't have a lot of young starting pitching depth. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, you know, not that you necessarily want to, like, be in a situation where you're, like, relying on, like, Anthony Kay and Thomas Hatch um, to be making – and Bowden Francis to be making up your rotation. But I just, like, Mm -hmm. they don't have a ton. And, like, you need spot starts here and there. And like They were actually pretty lucky this year with injuries. Like, they did Mm -hmm. not have very many injuries with their pitchers um, outside of, like, the guys that missed most of the year, like Nate Pearson. Um, but like their pitching staff this year were like pretty durable. Um, and they were all guys that are like somewhat known for their durability. Like Manoa pitched a lot in college, Barrios obviously coming, Ray, um, Stephen Matz. Like they've all like been guys that like pitched a lot and like didn't have hugely significant injuries anyway. Um, but that's not, that cannot, that can change next year. Like they could have a lot of injuries. So I think they need that depth. Um, I guess two names that stand out that they didn't get taken would be like Eric Pardino, who like was the name a couple years ago, if you remember, like Mm -hmm. um, really young still. um, And, but he's just missed a lot of time. I think he really only uh, graduated to like low A level and he just had Tommy John last year and he basically missed this entire season trying to come back from it. Um, And Joey Murray, who was like kind of a, low under the radar darling um a couple years ago and was getting some attention um coming into this year and he like missed the entire season with an injury which I don't really know much about I don't even think I was kind of searching my notes and trying to figure out what it was and I truthfully don't 
really know. Um, mm-hmm. And it was not really talked about. So I'm not sure if it was like one of those sort of like hockey-esque upper body, <laughs> lower body <laughs> injuries, undisclosed injury type of thing, or just we never got around to um, knowing much about it. But anyway, those were two names that kind of were like, oh, they didn't protect them. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's the Rule 5 draft. I don't even know when the Rule 5 draft is going to be happening this year with the if potential lockout. One, yeah. um, and also there is just so many reliever types pitchers that are available and it's so rare for guys to stick um it's you know every season there's maybe like one or two guys that um were selected the rule five and they hit um but it doesn't happen very often and so most often like teams sometimes don't mind the risk like look at a couple years ago jordan romano was not protected he was selected by i think the white Sox, and traded immediately traded to the rangers who tried him out as a reliever he made it pretty far into their spring training i think just basically didn't make one of the final cuts um and was sent back to the blue jays and then the blue jays converted him to a reliever and now he is basically their starter or starter their closer excuse me mm-hmm. um and so like that's uh and jordan romano was pretty like polished at that point like he uh and it was a rangers team that i don't think was a very competitive rangers team and he still didn't stick so it's you know it's, it's pretty it's it's hard it's hard mm-hmm. and like even in the time like the blue jays kind of like um, game the system a little bit a couple years ago with Lu- Luciano, um, Joe Biagini a couple years back was, but he was also like older and he, um, I think he had been a starter in the minors. Blue Jays tried him as a reliever and it worked for a little while and mm-hmm. they got that out of it, but it doesn't. And that was, again, like I said, it's one or two or three or four guys per season end up, um, sticking around mm-hmm. on a team. And even the years beyond that are really unlikely, too, that they even stick, right? Like, sometimes it is more like the Joe Biagini. Yes, and sometimes, yeah, exactly. It's right. It's like, you know, one year, because that's just how kind of relieving can work sometimes. You can have mm-hmm. two really good seasons, and then you can kind of just fall off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where Joe Biagini is right now. <laughs> like, where he, I can't, I lost track of him after was, the Astros he, trade. He, yeah, I, I think he made his way back to the big leagues this year, actually. I think he did. But, um. The the one that I was thinking about is Samad Taylor. Yeah. I think that's the interesting one. I I think that if anyone's going to get claimed, it'll be him um, because he's just so toolsy, right? Like you know, it's, for sure, it, for sure. And he's the type of guy that could stick because a rebuilding team could use him as like a fifth outfielder that they use as a pinch runner because he's really speedy and he can play at a bunch of different positions. I think the one reason, the one sort of like reason why I can see the Blue Jays not protecting him is that on their particular roster, he's a bit redundant at this point. Like they have a lot of those guys. They have a lot of those guys that are, what position are they? Like the Biggios, the Kevin Smith, uh, Mm -hmm. Valera, Otto Lopez. Like these are all guys that you're like, they don't have a position because they move around and that's what the Blue Jays have done with them they've molded them into these two like these utility guys they play jose ramirez's position so they're not needed anymore (laughs) uh uh joe biagini made it one appearance with the cubs this year made it with with chicago so yeah i I think samad taylor is the guy that will probably get 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 selected um obviously the blue jays liked him when they traded when they picked him up in the joe smith trade back in 2017 but uh had an interesting season, but you know, maybe there's a bit of a, a little bit too much swing and miss for the Blue Jays liking. Yeah. God only knows. Um, but yeah, that's it. I think that's it. We've well, this has gone on way too long enough. Yeah, way too long. A, well, you know what? We have to give our fans something to chew on. We don't come on as often, so 
if you think, if anyone thought that we were going to do an episode around the awards season and there, so there was going to be a significant chunk of Shohei Otani time and think that I was going to get out of here in any kind of a reasonable <laughs> amount of space, they're dreaming. Uh, they're just purely dreaming. So this has been good. Caitlin, thank you so much. I love to talk about this stuff. I am a sucker, as I said, for the down-ballot nonsense. Shout out to Jim Salisbury. Shout out to the guys in Texas who just, like, throw caution to the wind. Just be like, whatever, our guy, first place, let's go. And uh, have yourself a good time. So, Caitlin, what else, what do you have coming up? Are you getting, are you got your lawyer hat on yet? No, no. I think I'm going to leave that to, like, the Ken Rosenthal and Evan Jelich's of the world and just kind of let them lead that story um, I think that's wise. Yeah, I, think I mean, to- I, it, the, the, this whole thing doesn't t- t- doesn't totally impact my content plans um, mm. in the sense that a lot of the off season is slow anyway, and the Blue Jays have mm, based I don't know what I can remember, but like things generally didn't ever get going much until mid December, late December, or sometimes mm-hmm. early January. Like George Springer was not till January. Um, Hunjin Ryu a couple years ago was like right around Christmas time. Um, so I am used to creating content for a lot of number of weeks when things are not happening. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll just, it'll just be more like sort of forecasting ahead and looking at what the Blue Jays roster looks like now, what they need and all that kind of stuff. So that's what you'll get from me for the next few weeks. And uh, hopefully by January, we're talking about an actual baseball season and a CBA and uh, transactions again. I believe that Evan Drellich has a new podcast um, that's going to be going around through this thing. Is that fair to say? Maybe I'm I think not- he's um, – maybe our producer can give us a note, but I think he's – taking over one of the slots on the baseball show. Which, mm-hmm. That sounds about um, right. But yeah. anyway, it's easy to get out over your skis when you're not like someone who's – it's on the athletic baseball show. That's right. Evan Jarrell yeah. will be popping up there to talk about the labor situation, which uh, what I was trying to say is it's easy, easy to get out over your skis and sort of talk out of turn when it comes to the real nuance of this of a lot of these, a lot of these pieces. It's such a big, massive uh, undertaking the collective bargaining agreement. Um, I think all you can do is if, you, if you're not in that position is hope that there is labor peace and more more accurately, not hope that there's la- labor peace, hope that there is labor equity, that they make a good, fair deal, that the players are able to, to, to collectively bargain on their own behalf, as well as the minor leaguers, as well as the players that are coming up in the, in, in the up and coming days, um, and, and ensure that there is a, the, a fair share of this enormous pot of revenue. That you know, the, hopefully the players are more and more. I think the players are getting shut out from some of these revenue pieces as they are building up these real estate built deals around the, these stadiums, and and there's just so many more opportunities for the owners to make money. So hopefully, players are able to get a good cut. So that's all I hope for: get a good deal, and and but without losing sight of the value of the game undertaking, and and not to say that like, oh, you can't take don't take the game from the fans, like. That's the leverage that the owners want you to want to 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 use against the players. Just hope that that they're able to get a, a good and fair deal, and that we don't have to go too long without baseball. But mm-hmm. hopefully, in the name of solidarity, if if that if it comes to that, I'll wait. But I don't. I hope I don't have to, and I hope that they're able to reach a fair deal soon, quick, and and easily. Which don't have high hopes for because there's a lot of money at stake, and they want to make sure they get everything taken care of. So. 
Keep your ear to the ground listening to the Athletic Baseball Show where they'll break that down. And then we'll be back again when we need to be back again, I think is, what I was, is, the, is what's fair to say. No immediate plans right now, but um, hopefully we'll be back before the end of the year to talk more about your Toronto Blue Jays. In the meantime, go to theathletic.com slash spin right, sign up for catch that hot deal for the next 12 months. You can read everything that Caitlin writes here going through the off season. You can uh, listen, read my Vlad stuff. I've got some fun plans for the stuff in the off season. I've got to get around to doing it. Got a couple other projects on the go that are uh, taking up a lot of my time as well as uh, spending every waking moment in a hockey arena somewhere or, or driving to another child's sport activities. You can read the newsletter at fairservice.substack.com. Her name is Caitlin. My name is Drew. Talk to you next time. It's been